This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. And you know, Court, Zupan's makes all the holidays even better, starting with a couple of things. I'll just start with they have a taste of Thanksgiving going on every Thursday from 10.30 to 7 p.m. For just $15.99, you can get a plate of turkey breast, a choice of three holiday sides, turkey or mushroom gravy, and cranberry sauce. And that can be part of your preview for your ordering your Thanksgiving dinner at Zupan's. Yeah, we've been talking about doing your holiday uh, shopping and t- holiday food shopping and ordering through Zupans. I've been doing it for years. Uh, right now, uh, Thanksgiving orders are now being accepted. And as of this week, Chris, you can also start ordering your food for Hanukkah. Yes, Hanukkah ordering is open. If you're res- You can reserve by Sunday, December 5th. And they have some really delicious looking and sounding food available. Braised beef brisket. It's braised in red wine with carrots and other goodies pomegranate rosemary marinated lamb they got matzo ball soup potato potato latkes and uh some other things too rugula who doesn't like rugula sitting around while you're having coffee right coffee so you can also order a dinner for four your whole hanukkah dinner as you can as we mentioned for thanksgiving too they make it super easy, and the best thing for you to do is go to zoopans.com. That will help you keep track of certain deadlines for Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, and then when we get into the Christmas season. Uh, you can also be aware that on certain items, you can walk into the store and buy a lot of these side items just while you're doing your regular shopping. And you can do that regular shopping at three locations. And Chris, what are those? Those are West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. And of course, the important fourth location is what, Court? Zoopans.com. All right, here it is. Time once again, it's Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And I'm Court Johnson from Portland Radio, kink.fm. Hello, Court. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, the uh, The holiday seasons are upon us and uh, the weather has turned and uh, man, life... Life is great. I'm actually sitting in my uh, echoey dining room. We're doing some remodeling, and I found that when you lose, when you move, like furniture and textiles out of a room, it becomes super echoey. So hopefully, you're not getting too much of that. But that's okay. You sound okay to me. You look okay. We're we're looking at each other through our uh, the program we're using to record now, which I really appreciate. I think it sounds a little better. We welcome feedback from our listeners as to how this sounds now. And also, while they're subscribing and while they're rating and sharing with their friends, they can let us know that. Absolutely. It it never hurts to to do any of those things. In fact, uh, uh, we'd highly encourage you to do so. Right. So, I mean, it's harder for us to tell how people, how it's coming through on the other end. Court, you identified an episode recently where we had a couple of guests on and it was a little difficult. So we like to avoid those things. And if it's, if anything ever is sounding off to anyone out there, the content, the audio, the audio quality, let us know, please. Um, Cause it helps to get feedback from people. Um, and we want to make this podcast as strong as possible. We're eight years into it. I think we're completing eight years court and starting our ninth in about another month. That's right. Crazy to think about. Almost a full it decade. Is, 
It is nuts. So, um, but we, we've had some great episodes recently. We have almost 300 episodes in our archive, so we invite everybody to go back and listen to those. Two, um, it's a good time of year to listen to podcasts, too. The weather's been kind of crazy. How's it been there? At the coast, man, we have seen winds that I haven't uh, seen in a long time. And being up here on the mountain, it's really, it can get pretty crazy. Yeah, we haven't seen, I, I know we're actually kind of un, under a wind advisory for the next little bit, but like, not too bad. I'm here in southwest Washington, not southwest Washington, but Washington County, and uh, not too bad. Some some raininess, but... Uh, uh, no trees falling on my house is what I'm good and I think we're we're coming to the point where maybe we can start to get some herd immunity and things can get back to normal I know all our restaurant friends are wishing for the the end of the uh, mother may I period um, where <laughs> you you move two steps forward and two steps back um, so we're looking forward to that I think I think in January February we might be around there what do you think I'm, I'm, I'm hoping so. I, I just got to say how just strange the, the workarounds that the restaurants have had to go through the last couple of years to, to make things work is that, you know, indoor dining, not so safe, outdoor dining is okay. And then, so then you have, you know, these restaurants owners, chefs investing in physical structures that if you look at them at a distance or even up close, they feel like they're inside, but for whatever reason, they're being defined as outside. Have you seen this, Chris? It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just actually at Republica recently, and they have a nice outdoor situation there. And it's warm. It was a kind of a chilly night. And it was it was like dining inside. There was nothing really wrong with it. So um, yeah, we're getting used to lots of new things. I'm just going to be happy that the day of takeout is over. Oh, yeah. So but you know, the thing is that many restaurants are going to be way better at takeout than they ever were before, because that's what they were forced to do. So um, yeah, looking forward to that. Looking forward to Portland Food Adventures dinners. Go to the Portland Food Adventures website soon and see an event we should be doing in January, kicking off our PFA dinners for the first time in almost two years. And hopefully another one in March we're going to be talking about. They're not ready for prime time just yet, but when we get them up and ready, we'll be ready to do that. So, um, uh, that's good for me. I'm looking forward to working on some projects because uh, it's been a little quiet over the last year. It's been nice to have this podcast to focus on and uh, take the opportunity to stay in touch with all the folks in the food business. So we'll get to our interview with Neil Thompson of Park Avenue Fine Wines in a second, but I just wanted to take a second to um talk a little bit about an organization that i find near and dear to me it started with some dear friends of mine in connecticut the johnsons whose son connor uh left us through suicide um a few years ago and they have started an organization called honor connor which is basically set up to start the conversation and remove the stigma around suicide and they're doing a uh, a walk for honor connor at the end of the month that uh, anybody can sign up virtually and participate from anywhere in the country i would encourage anyone to go to honor connor h-o-n-r-h-o-n-o-r-c-o-n-n-o-r dot org and sign up there. Uh, it's a great cause, and uh, you know it was really sad when, very sad, and it still is 
when anybody loses a loved one like that to something and and if we can find some ways to discuss it before that happens and prevent it fantastic and if we can help people who've been through the process the grief process uh, to work through it. And that's one of the things that Honor Connor is doing as well. So yeah, yeah, Chris, I'm actually looking at the website right now. So not, not only does it have information about this uh, run that's taking place at the end of the month, um, I guess you can walk it too. And you can also donate there, but some great resources just in, in how to provide hope and support, raising awareness. And it, it, we have reached a, a, a pivotal point, I think, where talking about mental health um, is something that we not only should be do should be doing, but is encouraged. Like, talk about it. It's okay to talk about it. Um, and I hope I hope we've turned a corner where more people are willing to do it. Yeah, I think so. And and when it hits home to you, when it's somebody you know and love, yeah, then uh, it means more. And I've had some. I've had some uh, too close. I've had some proximity to it myself as well. And so uh, it's an important organization and. And Scott and Lisa are old, good, not old, I don't mean old age-wise, but we go back a long way and, uh, and anything we can do to help them, we will. So that being said, let's bring ourselves back to Portland and downtown Portland and Park Avenue Fine Wines. My friend Neil Thompson, who I've seen on Facebook through his name, Neil Thompson, and also Vic Starman, um, who's uh, very in touch with the pulse of everything food and beverage in portland and beyond now into the suburbs if you if you listen to the end of the podcast he does a fantastic job of giving us a little of navigating the food scene in beaverton especially some uh great asian and korean places that i asked him about so um neil uh you know has been in the portland area i believe he said since 1999 he talks about what the food scene looked like then just on the tail end of zephyro he got here and um you know he's he's learned to be kind of a concierge because as he talks about in this podcast the tourism scene is back in portland he's seeing it firsthand at his wine shop, which also features a wine bar. And there, they're always asked all the time where people should go. And so he talks a little bit about that, but I think most, um, it was most encouraging to hear Neil talk about uh, tourists being back at hotels and things starting to bustle. And it's harder to get reservations now at restaurants. I think that's great. So. Um, and he's a really good guy and quite knowledgeable and, uh, and I would say lots of fun. He used to have a podcast himself. I was not aware that he was uh, doing the podcast My Poor Liver, which I paid attention to a little bit when we started this podcast way back when. So Neil was probably the most prepared guest now that we're doing this podcast remotely um, with equipment. And uh, so I was glad to see that he was he was. He was making sure that all was set more so than any other guest. So I was glad to hear that. Um, I think it's a great episode and I'm sure people will enjoy it. Going into the holidays, it's good to know where to get great wines and who to talk to about it. And one of those people is Neil Thompson. Thompson. 
Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. And by... Portland Food Adventures. Ready to break out and travel to some of the world's most delicious destinations? Portland Food Adventures has space available on two trips in 2022 to Basque Country in Spain with Chef Javier Canteras of Urdaneta. Also, if you've never experienced Italy with Austria Enzyme, join Chris for the most delicious nine days in Western Sicily imaginable. Info at portlandfoodadventures.com. Thank you, Neil, for, for right. jumping in. And this is the second try. We had, we had a couple of minutes there where I hadn't yet hit record. So we're going to try. All my best material. Yeah. Actually, do, did you want to go down that road we were going down? Or you want to, is that good? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, sure. It's, it's not going to be very exciting for a leadoff, but it is interesting to me. So sure. Well, listen, if you're good. So you mentioned it earlier. You post a lot of stuff to Facebook. So, and I do the same thing, and a little of it is kind of ranty, correct? So, if you have something mm-hmm. to complain about, you'll put it up there. And I noticed I did the same thing this morning. And, and then I think about it and look and think, why do I need to tell everybody I'm a cranky old man? So, <laughs> but you had posted something the other day about cra- crazy things always happen to you in liquor stores. So, um, the yeah. first question is, how, how often are you in liquor stores? And the second, it would be what happens. Well, it's not often. I do, I go through about a fifth of gin. I'm a gin man, and I usually do one a month. Uh, but this, this has been a pretty intense month, so I just went back to get my second one here the other day, full disclosure. Uh, when I get home after doing wine all day long, that's not. I'm not going to crack a bottle of like room temperature red wine and sip on wine as a cocktail. So I'm a gin man, gin and beer. So I go to get my gin. And, uh, and like I was kind of implying on Facebook where I love to rant. I'm my own best troll. I do it. I think it's obvious I do it on purpose to get people all riled up. And then a lot of people don't seem to catch that. And I, I have a lot of fun with it. Too much fun, perhaps. But uh, this one wasn't a rant. It was actually a genuine sort of a heartfelt comment that what I love about suburb liquor stores is that it brings out my people from where I come from. So I come from Florida, struggling, lower middle class, um, and that kind of thing. And I just love that association to like, uh, oh, it misses the Southern charm out here. So we don't get the coupled polite Southern charm with the commentary. But what we do get out here is things like, uh, you know, the clerk says, how you doing? I say, can't complain. And they say, no one would listen. And I say, ain't that the truth? That's like a dialogue you have to do in the South. It's like, that's a written script for the, for everyone. <laughs> it's like a thing we say. And so I love these things and I miss them because out here in the Pacific Northwest is uh, different and it's just different, but it definitely doesn't have that like quippy uh, Southern charm thing that I miss. So when I go to suburb liquor stores, uh, whether it's a guy or a gal, behind the counter, there's usually some kind of recognition, something that reminds me of those days. And I'm dragging here. So uh, usually I'm wearing one of my crazy shirts. I have a lot of like movie shirts and 
band shirts that are pretty obscure that most people don't know. But the place to find those people is working at a liquor store in a suburb. So I'll often be wearing, um, I have a shirt from the movie Gummo, which is one of my two favorite movies. It super disturbs people and uh, people get all upset that I like it. And um, by uh, Harmony Corinne. And I have it's just the bunny boy. It's just nothing but the bunny boy squatting on the ground with his knees up to his chest with his bunny ears on. And people either get very disturbed or curious. But liquor stores where you have people be like, Gummo, best movie ever. And then we have our little throwdown. So the other day, it was just that I paid with my watch and uh, my Android smartwatch. I paid for the thing by tapping the deal. And he's like, oh, you're paying with your watch. huh? I don't know about that. I, you know, they're watching you. And I, I just said what I always say, which is like they, whoever they is, I was like, bless his heart, he doesn't know. Of course they are. That's literally the way the world works. Like my watch, everything's tracking everything. I mean, they're tracking what I bought so they can like report back to Beefeater that people buy their gin. I mean, I was like, no, duh, that's the way the world works. And I just did my usual thing and told them whatever they want to see, they're welcome to. I'm like, I don't know how how interested, like the webcam thing, covering up your webcam. I, if someone wants to, that's fine. But I'm like man they'd be bored to death and so that's a boring story actually that's no, not it's one of not the best boring. ones but it, it brings up a good subject i i feel like i've been out on facebook and everywhere for years so at this point whatever they want to know i mean unless i'm doing something i don't want anybody to know but that is very rare and you know there's not much i'm doing right. in this seat where i need to cover up my webcam um Oh. Right. And and also what is so I just the thing is the the idea that they're taking our data to know something about us. Let's talk about Facebook. That's it's free for a reason. And I'm always amused that people think they have rights on Facebook. That's so interesting to me. Actually, it's very interesting. I'm sure there's books about it where I'm like, how dare they? This belongs to me. Am I right? I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's a data mining site. And then someone will post this cute meme and they'll say, oh, don't click on that questionnaire or that thing, because it's I found out it's a data mining thing. And I'm like, the whole platform is data mining, but it's not bad. It's like, I love it. You know where I got that gummo t-shirt from a pop-up in Instagram right. sometimes because sometimes they knew me. I but love I do it. think those radio station things that people click on and, and put their, you know, their, the color of their underwear they're wearing that day is absolutely <laughs> unnecessary. And I, I've called a few friends out to say, you know, that is particular data mining. There's certain things that you can respond to that are a little more, conspicuous i think but, um, oh, i agree with that for sure yeah. <laughs> but but i'm just saying i'm a boring guy if they want I, I told this guy if they or whoever it was about the webcam the other day i said if they want to watch me fold laundry and argue with my husband about something about dinner I, they're welcome to watch that's yeah funny. no so they that's my feeling is they don't have time it's just basically general information. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe someday somebody will want to know something about you specifically or me and have access. But that's probably not going to happen. Anyway, that's... And it, I've blathered it already on Facebook anyway. They can just read my... Exactly. It's a biography So, for But you bring up something interesting, because when I moved out here, you're in the hospitality business now, and when I moved out here from Connecticut, what shocked me was going to the grocery store and hearing people say, did you find everything you want, sir? Can I help you out with that? And I was like, oh, as a guy from Connecticut, I was taken aback because I barely get a cough if uh, at the checkout counter at the stop and shop in Connecticut. If I said thank you, after I bagged my own groceries, by the way, if I said thank you, if I got a thank you back or you're welcome even. So out here, everybody's a lot more friendly. So as someone from the south do you think that or do you think that they're 
not friendly enough? How do you how do you perceive that? No, when I moved here 21 years ago, it was I liked how friendly everyone is here, but it wasn't that they weren't where I'm from. In fact, again, where I'm from, well, I moved here from North Carolina, Charlotte, which is absolute hospitality and genteel spirits and sweet people. I only left because of the weather, but, um, well, we'll get to that later probably. But, but the deal is it's, uh, everyone's still equally nice here. I just miss the, uh, the charm again, the charm that comes with the being from the South. So it comes with a sweetness that is sometimes artificial, but just what you do and usually pretty genuine. Actually, if you say, I'm not having a good day, someone will say, well, tell me about it. Let me help you out. And I don't get that here, but everyone's very friendly here. Right, but yeah. they would do that here while you're waiting online to get to the checkout counter and someone's having that conversation in front of you about their... Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, that's not okay. No, then I get on Facebook. Yeah, no, so I've had that happen many times. Like, do you need to have this conversation right here? So, and I, and I kind of bring that up because I'd like to sort of wend our way into hospitality because that's what you do. And that's what you've been doing at Park yeah. Avenue Wines, at least for a few years. And for, before that, you know, you had to learn the wine business. And when you're in the wine business, it's not all about the wine itself. It's selling the wine. And, and, and how yeah. best to position yourself to, to do that. So um, how do you feel? Like you're in the heart of Portland, downtown. How are things? I, I kind of have decided that I don't want to talk about the pandemic forever but we're coming out of it and you were right there in the in the heart of it and you've changed your the you've changed what do you call your place now and uh how do you feel about it coming out of you know what was a war zone for a while yeah i'm happy to talk about it in terms of post-pandemic both because um with i've got my booster and i'm feeling good and uh, we just got news yesterday i think everyone probably saw the news that people who matter uh, have said that they honestly think that we'll, we'll really be out of it by December something, certainly by the new year with, uh, so I'm, I'm willing to go, let's just talk in terms of post pandemic. I, I was one of the first people who was like, this is crazy. Why are people acting like things are normal? But now I have crossed my personal threshold where I'm like, let's be normal. So uh, I'm, I'm gonna talk from that perspective the whole time. And also because whether I like it or not, the bar, the wine bar in the wine shop, Park Avenue Fine Wines, downtown Portland, like you said, right smack in the middle. We've been open through the whole thing, but we did have to close the wine bar. Reopened it a few months ago and it's full speed. And I'm happy to report all of our corporate gifting is coming back, all of the event booking for company parties we wondered people are beating our door down so it's um just uh, almost a hundred percent back honestly the shop is certainly back to pre-pandemic numbers and the bar is getting there so um it feels good and i will tell you you mentioned the i know you didn't mean literal war zone but i would say that one thing that didn't help us exactly was during the pandemic uh it was so important to know that a lot of the news outlets both local and national were really picking on portland portland was their sweetheart clickbait topic and they got a few shots from this angle or that of someone doing a throwing a, a fire bomby thing at the courthouse or or maybe some four people got in a fight and one of them shot a gun and you know over on this block or something and so they kept declaring up until just recently for 18 months they've been declaring states of riot as uh, i found out later that's a legal i guess that's the terminology you need to declare uh, a, a declaring a riot is apparently a legal technical term that allows a certain level of funding to get released and policing to get released 
for to respond because we're so short on police, like epically short on police. So it was more of a technicality, but then the news would really grab that and be like another riot downtown Portland. It was almost, oh, I hate to say cute. I don't want to make it too lighthearted, but it's almost cute because it'd be like three bored kids would spray paint an ATM and they would declare a state of riot. And then my mom in Florida, 82 years old in Florida would, oh my gosh, so concerned that I'm okay in my safety. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we, you know, I think I, today I walked out on the beautiful sunny day and went to the park and got a cup of coffee and, you know, went to the food cart. So anyway, nothing was as bad as anyone thought, but let's go straight to post pandemic. People are totally coming downtown. Shops are reopening. Uh, the thing I'm loving about being in the heart of it now, after being, you know, just keeping my head down and working for so long, is that I feel horrible that a lot of restaurants closed, but we got to move forward. And where we're at is I anticipated what's going to open next. I mean, the places are outfitted. What's going to happen? Who's coming in? And it's happening. Peter Cho has a killer new restaurant, uh, about a two minute walk right down the street. I'm right off of. Uh, there's new uh, crazy high-end shops opening. Man, the new Gucci store is in, is insane. It looks like you're in a, a big city, like a Manhattan. Or Somehow Gucci and Portland to me don't me mesh, but whatever. I'll tell you, well, that leads right to, you're helping me along. I'm barely awake here. I slept in a little too long. Um, uh, you're helping me because what that leads to is I agree with you, but I'm fully embracing the new Portland, the old quirky Portland, like the band t-shirt I'm wearing right now. It's simply gone. So instead of just bitching and moaning about it, I've decided since I opened an 8,500 square foot wine shop in the dead center of all the new fancy hotels, including the Ritz Carlton that's being built as we speak uh, right outside. How close is door. that? How far away is that? Um, it's literally, so I'm halfway up a block I between meant, Morrison. I meant time-wise. Oh, uh, they're 23 still. 23. Yeah. But it's coming. Oh, man, it's coming fast, though. Every day it looks mm -hmm. different. Um, and that's going to be high-end uh, retail shopping, living, and uh, hotel. But that brings me to this. I know because I'm right down near the mall where the Gucci is. It's The new Portland is all tourists. Um, a lot of tourists from Asia, a lot of tourists from all over the country. It's We're packed with tourists. It's the new norm, and they're already coming back. And that's who's buying. I mean, look, uh, the, everyone walking down the street has a giant high-end bag, a Louis Vuitton bag, a Gucci bag. It's uh, really coming. I think Ritz was smart to... They saw something none of us saw, I think, and they're moving in at the right time. So it's, I mean, a lot of us are going to complain. There's no more cool little, you know, bars to go see a dive bar band and things like that. On the east side, of oh, course. Be around. Uh, downtown's be new and shiny. People, I think. Yeah. The, on the east side, which I love, you know, I adore the east side for its quirkiness and grittiness, but the rent's getting high there too. But uh, the new downtown Portland is going to be new and shiny. And that's what we're part of. I'm fine with that. We're locally owned and small, but uh, that's what we're counting on, really. So uh, I don't know how I veered off. No, the you didn't, and I'm glad to hear that. And you know, when I when I refer to it as a war zone, two things: I'm well aware that it's that it's so-called. No matter what the media that is talking about it, it's clickbait. It's really easy to pick on anywhere that things like that are going on and say, watch this, you're going to see something you're not used to seeing, especially in Portland. But there's no question about it. It affected downtown greatly for a good period of time. And now, as you yeah. mentioned, uh, you've got Tokyo opening up and where, where Tasty and Alder was. So 
there was a transition period there where no one could have been open there, whether it was Tasty and Alda or Toki, for a good chunk of time. But now that's open. I'm going Friday for lunch and looking forward to that. Oh, awesome. But there's yeah. no doubt about it. I mean, I'm, I'm heartbroken, heartbroken watching on Facebook uh, Kristen Murray at Maurice, the things that she goes through with the with the vandalism Terrible. that's still going on. Yeah. So on one hand, surely it's not Portland is a war zone. So I didn't mean to say that. On the other hand, it's not like it used to be. It's, it's frustrating to walk around and see all the everything boarded up. And at some point, the tents have to go. That's just not going. It's not going to yeah, go sure. with what you're talking about. <laughs> Louis Vuitton society. It's not they aren't going to mesh together. So Right. And I, I, I'll be careful to I'll just tell you and the listeners right up front, I don't have enough political science background to where I'd even want to speak to uh, where people should be relocated to. I, I don't want anyone to quote me on anything. So if I say anything in this just off the top of my head about, um, you know, they got to move them out or something, I don't mean that in uncompassionately. Is that a word? Incompassionate. So I, I don't mean to be incompassionate. Without passion, uh, without compassion. I can't use words. Without compassion at all, but I so I'm just going to speak very factually, which is how my brain tends to work anyway, that just by default, I do believe that the tents and the things that the city and I'm the, the governor and the mayor, I mean, they keep talking, oh, we're going to we get this money, we're going to do these things. So, well, they're not and they didn't and they won't. And so the deal is it'll be our business associations and it'll be others uh, and just by default, things will be pushed out. Uh, and again, I do hope there's relocation. I hope there's housing provided, but I don't, I can't speak to that. I just know that downtown will obviously not be able to have a bunch of tents in front of the entrance of the Ritz Carlton. It's just the way the world works. And we live in a capitalist society and, and that's where we're at. So that's, and I, I'm counting on it. I can't pay my rent and continue to stay in business there if those things don't come. And that's why we opened there. Those things were always slated to come. It just got delayed by pandemics and chaos. I'm glad to hear that things are going well for you because I hearken back and I don't know their situation, but I remember uh, speaking with the folks at Raven and Rose and they were very excited that the um, that the, the Radisson was going up next door. And now you go there and they're not open. So, so they, they, they were yeah. excited about this hotel opening. It opened and then the pandemic hit. So I, I think over time, this is going to be in our rearview mirror. And will everybody will remember it surely not fondly but some things will happen that are positive like everything else you know so some from from the Absolutely. ashes comes the phoenix and so um you know i'm looking forward to that so that's great to hear that things are doing well for you over there and um thank you and you're and you're happy with that because it would it would you know, we didn't think this whole pandemic, the problem has been we don't know when it's going to end. It's like I, I can tell you I was in an earthquake in Los Angeles way back when uh, in a house that was on stilts on the corner. And the problem is you don't know when it's going to end. It's not like, hey, you just got to get through this shaky period. You just don't know. So um, at any rate, that's a very real example. A uh, literal earthquake and wondering when the earthquake's going to end yeah. when you're in the house on stilts. That's that's pretty real. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's all happening. I've got, we're just working hard and getting through it and, um, everything's fine. And the good news is downtown is just banging, man. I mean, I, I honestly, more than I thought it would be already. People are flooding in. And so um, you're seeing people good. from, uh, 
tourists from elsewhere then because so are the hotel do you you should have a, a beat on this are the hotels booking up again or are they starting to get oh yeah so are they booked can you get a room or can woodlark uh, Woodlark's our closest uh, partner or neighbor who was closed the least amount of time, I believe, other than the Nines. The Nines is where most of our guests come from. They've been open for quite a while. I don't know how booked they are. Woodlark is definitely hitting near capacity now. Uh, and then the restaurant in Woodlark and the coffee shop in Woodlark called Good Coffee and mm. Bullard Tavern uh, and Abigail Hall. They're all, all open and all full. If you try to get in for lunch, tomorrow on a weekday at Bullard Tavern, you'll, you'll probably get a seat. Um, but right between noon and one, you might not. It's, it's busy. I mean, tourists are here weekdays, weekends, uh, starting Thursday, it is very busy downtown. Well, that's good to hear because also you don't have as many people in office buildings now. They're slowly going back, I would imagine. But yeah. in, for the long term, there aren't going to be as many people in those office buildings as there were. You're very right. I mean, we have a lot of those customers who are members, like we have a membership for people who are local so they can come use a, a little a lounge downstairs and do this and that, get some discounts and things. Um, and they've been saying, I'm just not coming in as much because I'm working from home. So that's a reality. Uh, is a good thing tourism's way up because we would be slower without that. People aren't coming downtown as much at all. So, uh, and it, we've never been a huge foot traffic. I mean, we do foot traffic for sure in the shop, but we also have always done delivery and shipping. So that's also what helps sustain us through all of this is we just did tons and not just the monthly wine clubs. I mean, just like whatever you want, just order it and say, send it to my house today. I'm home and we send it. So that's also kind of without that, I don't know if we would have made it to be honest. Well, you have to have, uh, the loyal folks and thank goodness that you had, the people in office buildings down there down there who like wine so um otherwise you, <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have been do. able to, to tap that resource uh as a customer base uh to get through it so um let me ask you this so i know that we have the occasion to to get together here in manzanita and i've seen you've been here since has the pandemic given you the opportunity to get away a little more often than you may have before no, quite the opposite. I've been working so hard. My business partner, Stacy Gibson, and I, um, we did it all by ourselves for a year, six days a week, morning, noon, and night. There was no getting away. I used to, man, I got spoiled there at the beginning. It was going really well at the beginning, and um, we were able to take extended you know, 10 days away at the most usually and I was starting to do what every white man in his upper 40s at the time does and gets woke to traveling to Southeast Asia to eat food it seems like that's a, a rite of passage for people like me mm -hmm. so I was doing a lot of that and I was hitting Malaysia and Thailand and all these things and um, I was single at the time so that was easier and then uh, uh, it threw myself off on that so but the deal is I was getting used to that and then then on the pandemic comes but also I've super fell in love and got married uh, to someone from an Asian country, but he was living in Victoria, BC. So then that changed, honestly, that changed everything. I couldn't, I wasn't gonna just go travel alone and he was working on immigration. So we just got busy, but then the pandemic hit and Stacy and I did everything for six days every week. And looking back, I, it's one of those things where you hear mothers, you know, their car, their car crashes over and their kids under it and they like lift the car and like get the kid out and like, and then later they break down and cry or whatever. That's what we did. And I look back now and I'm like, literally, how did we do that and survive that? So we were married to our jobs 
constantly all day. And now we are bringing staff back. We've brought our staff back, but I am working so hard. So I don't get to go anywhere that, that when you see me go to Manzanita, it's crazy. I mean, it's a 36 hour turnaround and, uh, having to work from my phone half of the day, that kind of thing. But it's nice. It's fine. I, I'm a business owner. I shouldn't complain about it. I'm glad to be busy. Is that what you wanted to do growing up? What was it that you had your sights on growing up? And did was it North Carolina or Florida? I'm confused as to which one. It. Well, born and raised in Florida, mm-hmm. uh, and then two years in Houston, Texas, to play bass in a thrash band, 1990 to 92, oh, no. and then North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. What got you to North Carolina from? Te- had, had what was? Um, How did you get to Texas and then to North Carolina? Well, Texas, I tried out for the band and got it and took a one-way ticket Greyhound bus out there and lived in extreme poverty, having a lot of fun for two years. Uh, played in that band. And we toured around just mostly the state. We played a lot in Austin and uh, played with some fun bands, good bands that we were fans of, got to open for some good bands. It, it was fun. It wasn't my greatest musical. I, I, later, I was in a band I liked a lot better in Charlotte, but it was fun. And then uh, that story is not even worth going into too much. But oh, I, one of our I biggest fans. You, do you play anywhere in Portland ever for fun? No, I don't play now. I have I own one bass guitar. I've sold everything, all my rig, uh, except one bass that is such a great little, little. You know, it's not worth enough to bother to sell it, but it's a great little piece of gear, so I keep it. But I'm not playing. I, I might play again. We'll see. And like I say, I'm the, now I'm 51, so I'm a, a a bald, chubby, white 51 year old man. So I'm required to pick the guitar back up and start playing in some kind of band and play some local gigs yeah. with my friends Ron and whoever. I'd like to hear that. But I also interrupted you from giving us the you know how you got from Texas to North Carolina and then eventually here at Portland. That's the better. Yeah, that's an important part. This what this is what I call my adult formative years. So at uh, 22 still I moved in 92 one of our biggest fans had a underground zine about music and really just had us on a couple times you know interviewed us and did all these things and we became very fast friends really close friends and then I was like yeah I think I'm done with this I just want to move and they were like why don't you move out here you can stay with us until you get on your feet and this and that and I and this is the way I was living always. I'm like, okay, and I loaded up everything I could load in one car, a little old beat up '76 Fiat sedan. Ooh, and that's uh, tough, man. Did yeah. you, were you able to get across? Were you able to get where you wanted no. to go without repairs all the time? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. No one. One stop in Mobile, Alabama, and then running the heater on full blast to keep the engine block cool. I did that and stopping all of every Texas. few minutes. 880 miles yeah. through Texas in my Mazda had the heat going in the middle of summer. Exactly. Did it with my Celica GT before that. Yep. And uh, fulfilling, getting water, stopping for water constantly to fill the car back up. But I got there and uh, sold it for four hundred bucks, the price I paid for it. Uh, that oh, works. what an investment, man! Have to we'll have to follow you. That's how I do. How, how to invest in Fiats and keep it going? We're good with with Neil. It was a great car. Uh, it was so much fun to drive that. It was like a go kart little crank handle sunroof and all uh but that so the deal is I, I took him up on that and we're still super close friends to this day he and his wife michelle uh great just great people um and uh so anyway i moved to north carolina i started working for a family business they had for a while but then i went moved into um i could do pretty much anything that wasn't a high level skill set thing i i remember testing in 1990 three or so i took a um 
career mapping test. And the instructor told me they have never, I hear stuff like this a lot. They've never in their career seen anyone have results like mine. And I had four full pages of 85% matches on average. I had like two or three, I had three at the top in the high 90s. And it was DJ, bank teller, and uh, oh, I hadn't thought of this in years. Uh, yeah, DJ, bank teller, and... Um, like announcer or something like that. They were very like people oriented. It was interesting. And then everything dropped down to 85 and I had four pages of roughly 85% matches. And then a few at the bottom were just like basically 0%. And it was anything that requires a lot of discipline and skill and school, like doctor Mm -hmm. and lawyer, attorney, things like that. They're like, you know, not a match. I'm like, no shit, Sherlock. Oh, I cussed. Sorry. But, uh, it's okay. (laughs) But, but in there, Thanks. But it, so I've done it all. So I, be, I got a job as a professional janitor and I kind of loved it. And then a part-time job on the third shift, putting lines on notebook paper for Carolina pad company in a giant machine and a th- other job, a second shift job at a convenience store. And this is where I'm going with this convenience store in Myers park neighborhood called Laurel market. And I bet someone listening to this podcast is going to know exactly what I'm talking about. This place is uh, famous, notorious, infamous. It's the oh boy. Well, we've got... He knows what you're talking about too. Yeah. So uh, we so that was the funnest job ever. So uh, hanging out there with this this very interesting, awesome family who owns it, uh, and it was in this rich neighborhood. It's basically like a Seven Eleven for a rich neighborhood, locally owned. And I used to say we carry everything from Pop Rocks to Camus Cabernet. Mm-hmm. So since I was the guy who was getting into wine, they said, Neil, can you do our massive wine? There's a pretty substantial wine and beer selection there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I'm learning, but sure, I'll do it. And then I had uh, one rep, John Sherwood, who I forever am indebted to. And he would take his time with me. He'd come in at the end of the day with his sample bag from his distributor company of wine. And he would just wait in between. I was so busy all the time, but he would wait. And if there was a break between customers, he would blind taste me and force me to try to guess what the wines are and it accelerated my learning skills uh learning skills is that a word but uh, my skill set and the next thing i know he's moving to boston and tells me to apply for his job which i said i'm not ready for and he said you're learning fast i think your personality's right you should do this next thing i know i'm the full-time the only rep the sole rep for all of these giant massive metropolitan areas of charlotte which is a huge spread if people don't already know that i mean it's absolutely massive and i was the only rep with 125 active accounts and a couple hundred more less active accounts and that kicked me into gear so i worked selling the dreyfus ashby book primarily plus a bunch of other ones including oregon so um i i just skipped a whole bunch there i got i mean i was married to a pastor's daughter in charlotte we can go back to that too i i did i've done i've been all over the place i've been done a lot of things yeah no i want to hear about that marriage that sounds pretty interesting yeah it was i mean i don't know i'll speak to it a little bit i was uh so i was uh still a churchgoer back there back then that's how we all are you know you you uh, do whatever and go to the bars on Saturday night and go to church Sunday morning. That's just how that goes. And, um, yeah, it was a pretty good boy, though, to be honest. When was the last time uh, you were in you church, know, by the way? 2003. Okay. just Here. Yeah. I went to Calvary Chapel here in Charlotte for a little while until I just couldn't deal with uh, the— I just—I knew. I, it's just my mind had gone beyond—not expanded beyond, but I just knew that it couldn't jive with— 
a lot of my reality. Mm-hmm. So, uh, being gay for one. So there's that. There's always that. But uh, yeah, I just jumped all over the place there. But Charlotte was great, and I loved. I got thrown into the wine industry, thrown into Oregon wine, which led me here. But we, I'm, I'm gonna not go forward with that yet. Um, but those were the adult formative years, and I played in the best band I was in. I made the best friends I've ever had. Well, I have great friends here now too. But it was a special time. I'm still real close to everyone there. Do you, do you get back uh, times, there at all? Yeah. Do you travel back to visit everyone? I thought I would go every year is such a quick, inexpensive trip and I can stay for free with friends. Uh, but I'm just too busy. Life's been busy. And then when I could travel, I started exploring the world more, Europe, Asia. Um, so I haven't been back in a while, actually. Some of them come out here quite a bit. Everyone loves Portland. So I actually get to see some of them have moved here and others visit here a lot. So we see each other. So were you doing, I would imagine you were visiting some some wineries out here was you if you were representing their, that's their, right their books and um and then tell us how you ended up how you decided to just move yeah it was uh, again just flying by the seat of my pants i got out here to visit producers and they took a few special people took me under their wing and said i'm just saying if you ever did want to live out here i could help you with this and that and so i got out here to visit and within the first 72 hours I was here for a 10-day trip, I think, uh, I had landed a job with the Kermit Lynch house here and a house to rent up on Pill Hill just above OHSU and uh, for $675 a month, <laughs> three levels and two bathrooms. <laughs> Those were the days. And, uh, and then, boom, I went back and loaded up a moving truck and this time a Nissan Sentra hauling behind that and drove out here and i was living here and well it took i was here on in march i got here in march so that was a december trip 99 and in 2000 march of 2000 march 31st i rolled in here and i was living here and selling the kermit lynch book for a few years so that was super fun got to go to france got to do all of that further accelerating my career leading to where i am now so what are your uh, what were your some of your initial and some of the things that you remember most about Portland back in 99 when you moved here that may or may not exist any longer. Well, that's what's fun about this is that I know full well that I had just missed, and this is what helps me stay encouraged about the future, which is what we're really, I've got on my mind today, it's the future. And I keep thinking back that people like uh, Chris Davis is an old school, uh, Rhonda and Jay who have the Jay Somers winery, Chris Davis, uh, people would know him from a lot of things, but he owns one of the importers of wine, Estelle. All these guys, they could sit here. They push me off the mic and be a lot more interesting. They were here during La Luna days. So all the great, you know, they'd see Nirvana on the bleach tour for five, you know, five or ten bucks to get in the door. And uh, all the punk rock scene. And uh, that was post the amazing jazz scene that Portland used to have. So that was before that. And and then there was this, um, you know, punk rock underground kind of scene. And they let me know Zephyro had just closed. So Zephyro the restaurant, a Bruce Carey group restaurant pre-group um and so they all let me know the things i had just missed and how i had missed portland portland's over portland's dead now Mm -hmm. and that this you know it'll never be the same again and they're right i mean that was the gritty fun portland i've heard all the stories and i don't disagree i think it happened in a lot of cities around the country but then i got to enjoy the heyday of the early 2000s where the great restaurant starters like and also punk rock clubs, we still had Satyricon and places like that. We had crazy places, after-hour clubs. 
uh, restaurants, though, like uh, Atwater's had just closed, but we still had Wildwood. We still had Higgins, which we still have to this day, which is just awesome. Uh, we still had Paley's Place, which is closing a few days from right now as we record this. Um, so there were still all these great restaurants and a great scene. And um, boy, it was just a good time uh, back then. And I'm curious what the new version is going to look like. My only fear now is only corporate money will be able to afford the rent. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting. Because right now it's independent. It's going to be an interesting world because one of the reasons for the, the scene as we knew it grew was because it was fairly inexpensive and you could get a lot of creative people opening a restaurant and doing what they wanted yeah. to do without having to answer to the bottom line necessarily. I mean, that was part of it, but... Uh, you know, it's one of the things that made Portland pretty special is it was driven by creativity and staying out mm -hmm. of the box and not getting in the box. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, I, I got here at about 05 and I didn't even know there was a food scene going on when I got here in 05. Oh, wow. Not even a clue. And uh, it wasn't until I, I hit, um, I think I'll give credit to Navarra was the first place I, that kind of was that embodied Portland and it still does and it still does man 70s there. a week and it's still around yeah, but that, I understand yeah I, I had been there yeah my friend posted yesterday he posted his uh empty place setting at Navarre on a Sunday at lunchtime because again how smart is that seven days a week late late not really breakfast but I'd say late breakfast let's say lunch and dinner seven days don't have to think about what do they close Sunday, Monday? What there's always there, and it's it's the kind of place that's so Portland where you're almost in their home. Uh, and I'm I'm gonna just say I we oh man I love John Taboda and the crew, um, but for better or worse, it's if you go there with expectations of this restaurant service experience, you I know a lot of people say oh this service is terrible. I don't see it that way because I also believe it's you what you make it. I, if you need something. I mean, it's practically like a Korean restaurant, except a, more of a European wine bar setting. But it's the kind of thing where you could like practically snap your finger. I mean, not real. Don't snap your fingers at a server. But <laughs> you just kind of say what you need, man. Just yell it out. And they'll be like, cool, we'll bring it. Because everything's just like little small plates and drinks and awesome wines. It's kind of like you're in their home. And they're, they're letting you be there. And then you just tell them what you'd like, and they graciously serve it. So a friend posts yesterday his empty place setting. And he's like, well, here I am. Now, you know, I, I was just came here for a bite, but I'm going to crack open some white port. We're going to drink some white port now. Just hang out here, you know. And that's that kind of place, the uncomfortable wooden chairs and the crooked, the tables that wobble and the concrete floor. And, and it's just awesome. I love it. And his cheesesteak, do you remember his cheesesteak? Just like a foil-wrapped mm -hmm. sloppy cheesesteak for seven bucks. It's just like whatever. You could get that. You could get a great piece of uh, cake from a cake saver. Uh, or maybe some octopus on a little, you know, a little top of size octopus, anything you want. But it's also the experience there that really caught me. And it's one of the reasons I started doing what I was doing, because it was the first place as a single guy I could go and hang out at the counter, watch them cook, say, what's that, and get a little of that. And then people would show up on the counter and you'd make friends. I, I remember Absolutely. You know, going to people's houses that I just met there, just like, let's hang out afterwards. So that was my first experience with portland and then it kind of grew from there but you, that is portland that's so when you got here in 99 was that kind of thing around then yet uh was there much that happened between 99 and 05 i don't know 
it was all like that. Man, it was awesome. I think Navarre represented the norm. Interestingly, his next place, um, Luce, yeah. in my mind, represents perfectly the next wave okay. where it looked a little more restauranty, a little more maybe get a reservation, a little, but still casual and comfortable, but kind of nicer with candle lights and a well organized. The chairs don't wobble, for example. I think they even <laughs> have cushions. We'll have to go to both places um, to check. Right, uh, but still very casual. But but back to Navarre, there was just a million places like that. Man, I, I um, some were higher end and some weren't, but ev- nothing was expensive and everything was somewhere between divey and comfortable. Uh, lots of bistro kind of, you know, family run. Their kid is in the kitchen with them kind of thing, whether it was Yuzu Ramen or, or Cafe Dax, Lisa's place, Cafe Dax, the kind of uh, Lebanese um vegetarian well they she had fish she had pescatarian and vegetarian restaurant i ate there once a week uh 808 i mean uh bamboo grove formerly one of the nohos the best location of nohos they became bamboo grove i'll just the, everyone's just hanging out meeting people eating drinking uh super casual is awesome those are a few that i'm not aware of Chris, we are pausing a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat here in Portland, a Portland institution, Ringside Steakhouse. You know, just I'm going to make this point on Ringside's ad that, that we all know there's an Eater 38. And I think that the fact that Ringside is not on the Eater, Eater 38 when everyone knows you can't get better service anywhere. And of course, the steaks, the food is great, but it's a Portland institution. And so everyone should be thinking about Ringside when they're thinking about dining out and especially this time you don't even have to eat there if you don't want you can pick up a family dinner kit for thanksgiving that's pretty great i'm I'm looking at this uh for four people with extra turkey you can pre-order this and pick up the week of thanksgiving uh 189 that that's pretty great for a, a complete thanksgiving meal for your family yeah think about it if you go out and you buy everything and you make it it's going to end up costing at least that much, and the same do the work. And you have you have a chef Jonathan Gill prepared Thanksgiving dinner. It's a it's a fantastic idea. And while you're at it, you may want to think about going in on Wednesday nights. Think about that prime rib special, three courses, prime rib and some sides as well, and dessert, $43, Wednesday nights at ringside. You can make reservations on Open Table, the Open Table app, or at ringsidesteakhouse.com, and don't miss out on that Thanksgiving dinner. Given the fact that you're talking about uh, Portland being um, heavily weighed towards tourism and you're having a hospitality business are you going to be in a position when you're there to be giving people tour guide information in terms of where they want to eat i mean i i'm sure you're like i am i get all the time where where should we go well give me a little bit of a give me something to work with here but um is that something that you do at park avenue wines so when I when we first opened it, I even had a phrase I used when I would tell people in interviews and whatnot that we wanted to be the concierge to downtown because stop at our wine bar first. We're not a full restaurant. Um, of course, we're mostly I mean, there's it's a giant wine shop for sure. So I want people to get a mental image because uh, I'm referring to the wine bar a lot because it relates to tourism more. Um, but most of the square footage is wine shop. But there's a really cute little wine bar my business partner runs. that's just fantastic. I'm going to brag about it because it's all her. So I'm going to totally brag. Her program's amazing. I still call it, it's just Park Avenue Fine Wines, but it's the wine bar in the shop. Mm-hmm. And um, 
anyway, uh, so what happens is, boy, I, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I am so busy with logistical things trying to run the business right now that are going to be boring for a podcast. So I'll, I won't even go into it, but it's back end things, changing systems, working on program, working on the website, uh, changing a lot of stuff. So I'm so very busy that I don't have time to be out on the floor selling wine much, which is what I love to do is what I do. I talk to people and love to meet people. Uh, but the main thing is I, I was the one who had my finger on the pulse and you and I've spoken privately about this, but I mean, not to, it sounds bragatory, but everyone would say, call Neil. Neil's the one talk to Neil. And I, I kind of a constant barrage of text or phone calls coming in that would be all over the country or wherever. I'd have someone text me like here, a picture of a Barolo section on a wine list in Boston or um, Denver. She was in Denver. And then this would happen all around the world. People would be like, which one should I order? What do I do? You know, where do I go? But so in Portland, um, I was the man, I was out at every restaurant, checking out every new restaurant, always out because single. And at the time, most of the time I was working for another company. So I worked sane hours and made decent money. So I was constantly out. Um, everything from the underground bars with the, I don't know if you remember the POW, the Portland organic wrestling, which I don't think was legal at the time, probably, but it was, uh, Dante's would, ho or uh, who hosted that Satyricon hosted it. And, uh, people would ju jump off ladders and light tables on fire and wrestle each other. And they'd have to sign waivers to do it. A lot of restaurant industry, back of house people would do it. And, um, and just like wrestle each other, it was insane. And so I, I was out at that stuff. And then the next night I'd be out at the finest dining, uh, Castagna having their full course menu. So I was doing all of Portland was mine to, to be had. And I loved it. It was a real heyday. And, um, then I had coming out of all that, I had a podcast for a while, but it's not, I'll mention it, but it's not even hosted anywhere at all. So I'm not advertising. It was called, uh, my poor liver. And we did three seasons, which again, are not even in out there in the ether anywhere now, but that's what it was about was like, everyone's like, can you please put this somewhere for me to know where to go? So I did that. And, um, right now I wish people come in the store and they say, where do we go eat? And typically one of the employees will start to try to answer, but our best, we have one shop employee, full-time shop employee. And she just moved here from the Midwest, not too long ago uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. So she doesn't know. So I'm busy working, but then I think I gotta, I gotta help. And I get up and start helping. Yeah. I like to tell people where to go, what to do. But right now my finger, I'm embarrassed to admit my fingers off the pulse. I haven't even been well, to Peru and I'm I, positive. I think a lot of people feel I'm, that way. We, 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 we haven't had our finger on the pulse for a while. We know a few places, but I don't feel like I yeah. know the whole scene the way I did three years ago, four years ago. It's changed. Yeah. Like for me, I left off at Coquine being what was in my mind, the best restaurant in Portland and they might still be, uh, but for example, there's Berlou, there's Jacqueline who I think just changed their name. I haven't been there yet. There's, I've got a list of places I want to go that I just don't have time to go. And another part of it is practical. I did get married in, um, 2018 and uh, finally he got fully immigrated here so we have a very fulfilling life together at home he cooks so i actually just don't need to go out as much to be honest yeah no that's a that's a nice option to have it there when you, and and you're certainly not bashful about um uh showcasing the delicious food that's ready when you get home man he his name is hans and uh hans makes killer killer food he's filipino but he's been learning korean japanese thai chinese uh cooking and last night he made his first attempt at an italian uh, fruity damari salad 
So uh, octopus, squid, shrimps, mussels uh, in a cold served salad with uh, he he doesn't use things like olive oil. So he tried this olive oil version of a uh, parsley. And what we found was the reason he was so comfortable with it is because if you replace the parsley with cilantro, the olive oil with uh, fish sauce. Oh, and it had sesame oil too. So uh, and you just sesame oil and fish sauce replace yet um, like I said parsley instead of cilantro instead of parsley and then some fish sauce you basically oh and replace the red bell pepper with out of season tomato you would have had a Thai salad it was exactly the same as a Thai seafood salad so he's transitioning and it was wonderful we served with bread we always eat rice so uh, it was really exciting. It was fun. So he's branching out, and his food is spectacular. Oh, he's got a restaurant in the works. It'll come. We'll, we'll talk about that later. So not today, but I mean some other day. Yeah, well, that's great. And you have some. You spent some time in Italy, so that must have been thrilling for you because that's. A, oh yeah. That's a cuisine you're probably near and dear to. So to have that being done at home, that's gotta. That's gotta be pretty special. It was you, exciting. You had quite. Uh, Quite a lot of drama around the immigration process, uh, I recall, a few years ago. Um, can you top line that for yep. us and what, that, what that's like to go through that? Um, uh, it, was a, it was a tough process. Oops, there's my mic. Uh, it was so terrible that I don't want to relive it in great detail, nor does anyone want to hear all of it. I will just say in, uh, that, uh, as anyone can imagine... Here's the deal. I'm going to say something about the former administration, but uh, there's no need for anyone. Let's say someone listening here is, uh, was a Trump voter, which I'm not. I was not a Trump voter. Um, but it doesn't even need to go to that level of personal politics because there's just certain facts are just facts. And that is that it was uh, public that the current administ- the previous administration was blocking immigration. And I mean, it was in the news. Again, it, it isn't, no one needs to argue right. The people, it was a fact, and the that, people who that was part of their like him, that was their platform, right? That that was a right. So they would, in fact, that was what always confused me about Trump in general was he would back down on something he said, and I would always say, but wouldn't you rather, wouldn't you be proud of what you said and support it rather than when people come up against it say, I never said that. I was like, but you did. We have it recorded, and so that's what always confuses me in life. I get confused as the things I rant about. So his platform was let's block immigration. And what most people didn't realize, because they're not in the middle of trying to immigrate their spouse uh, from five hours up Interstate 5, should have been much easier. Uh, And we got married here in the U.S. and everything. It should have been much easier. But it took three years and uh, two attorneys and uh, untold thousands of dollars and absolute chaos. Uh, so what happened was he, people don't know, he really did block it. So there was on, uh, my birthday, October 4th of 19, I think he did a presidential proclamation. He did another executive order. So he kept doing, uh, like things to demand income information. He was just delaying the process so no one could get in. And I think people in general, the general public thought, well, normal cases can get in. He's just talking about these like the Middle East or something. And in fact, he had blocked all avenues for any type of immigration, no matter how simple or legal, like mine was simple marriage, uh, just get, just change the status of the, uh, the just change status, residency status change should have been a quick, uh, processing thing in an office, pay a small fee, 750 bucks and you're good. And that was blocked. Everything was blocked. And then the pandemic closed the U S consulate in Montreal. So we had to abandon our NVC method and switch back to the USCIS method 
of immigrating to the country. So then that wasted a full year. And you're a busy, uh, you're a busy guy. You don't, you, that was so busy, a lot of time. So busy. A lot of time. Yeah. But I want to, the positive thing here is that we were so uh, blessed, I guess, is the right word. Because, I mean, I feel like it was, if there is a spiritual side to it, I feel like this is where it came through for us. That um, the powers that be, that as we cross the border, the each time the agents would hear our story and they would see that we're in the middle of the attorney process. We could prove that. And they each time gave them the maximum. They gave them six months visiting stamps at a time. Because uh, they could have decided, no, you get one week or two weeks and whatever. So we, towards the end of it, we started getting six-month stamps. And so at that last one, uh, the pandemic made it where it couldn't even cross the border to get back home. And we were like, well, here we go, Labor Day of 2020. He had to return, but the, even if he could get back, he wouldn't be able to come back here. And so while he couldn't work here... I still wanted to be, we wanted to be together. So it was very, um, there's no way to say how traumatic it was for us. I, I suffered, I, man, I turned gray. My beard is gray now. I suffered so much stress and anger, but the good news is he got stuck here over his visa, but under the advisement of the attorney that he is in legal process. And in fact, going back would be, that would be problematic that he needs to stay here. And, uh, I'll tell you, I'm just going to tell you the facts and let people figure it out for themselves. But during the election, there was chatter. The news was starting to call it for Biden. And then that wasn't, nothing happened. And then the AP called it for Biden, which most people would agree that's where you're pretty good to go. This was all just this week, a year ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, although I can't believe it's been a year. And as soon as the AP called it for Biden, I think literally the next day, USCIS sent out emails to their cases like us that they had a 100% infrastructure to make it easy for everyone to get their job, to get immigrated, to get everything. It was fully, they rolled it out it wide open. They're like, click into this, this, uh, this, uh, platform, this, um, portal and everything you need directly reach us, all the forms you need to submit, all your things you're trying to access 100% available to you. Couldn't be simpler. It was as easy It's easier than using Amazon's website. Um, absolutely unbelievable. And then the floodgates opened and my poor attorney, she's like, Oh my God, all the cases are coming through so fast. She was working her butt off. So everything had just been bottlenecked and it just flooded open. And then next thing you know, in three weeks, we were sitting in front of a, a USCIS officer at, here in the Pearl district, right here in Portland, we have an office here and we got halfway through the interview and she basically just shut her folio and said, well, I'm going to be approving your case and I want to hang out with you guys. Because we started talking about food, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and we we were talking about how do you know, you know, because we have a, quite an age difference. And I said, here's the deal, total, what's up? And uh, we had this beautiful 25 page photo album put together, and it kind of all revolved around like him going to his first American barbecue at my friend Rodney's place, Podna's, and his first, you know, Pizza Shoals was his first American pizza at our friend, now our good friends Brian and Kim's place. And uh, they've since given us a Christmas tree that we use, which is nice. And um, it just on and on it went. And she's like, I want to hang out with you guys. Like, you're doing all the fun. And we traveled to the Philippines and did all that. And she's like, you guys are, I'm going to be approving your case. You you guys are great. Um, So it's just, it's been great now. But boy, those three years, whoo. It's incredible. uh, I I couldn't do it again. It's incredible to me that they had the infrastructure right there, ready to go. Ready to go. Just hit the switch. Like, okay, let's do it the way it was supposed to be. Uh, Now that we don't have these blocks. That's crazy. 
So, and a shout out to the, I got to say though, every NVC and USCIS, CAIS rep that we finally would get through to over the years, many, many of them, 100% of them were the kindest, most sympathetic and empathetic people I think I've ever worked with. And they just kept encouraging us. We're pulling for you. I'm on your side. Like, keep trying, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing it right. You know, they were like apologizing for our government, basically. That's, that's unbelievable. So I am curious, you just touched on it, but I'm curious as to, I know how joyful it is when you love somebody to present them with an experience that makes them happy. I'm curious as to some of the things that have really flipped out hands uh, in terms of the, the barbecue or pizza, some of the things that he, he seemed to think were the best experiences he's had since he's moved here. He's sitting behind me. I almost wish he could be on. He but can. the thing is, he uh, can. Oh, he won't. He won't. <laughs> he won't. I'll tell. I'll speak for him. The bottom line is, I don't think he's flipped out by any of them because he is. He just doesn't do Western flavors. And I'm gonna make a little fun of him here. I tease him all the time. I tell him to his face the exact same ingredients, but if you put it on pasta noodle and then uh, maybe a pulled pork, maybe some kind of sugo, like a tomato sauce uh, meat saw sugo over pasta he'll say mm, not good for my tummy no mm -mm. he'll push it away he can't eat it but if it was rice with the identical pork the same piece of pork sitting on the counter and you shredded that and put it on rice with um another sauce even a tomatoey sauce but it had like fish sauce it has anchovies in it he loves it he'll eat it all day bowls of it never messes up his stomach he's perfect so i think that it's a little psychological and that he's a little proud of his food like like filipinos tend to be uh but he has really enjoyed pizza he does like uh brian and kim's pizza his our new favorite pizza is uh meta meta pizza which is anthony caffiero yeah. who's done a million things he's done racion is what everyone talks about but he's actually cooked his best days were at tabla i think and uh he's doing pizza now it's fantastic speaking of great you know the the past and Navarre, right, right next to it. Uh, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to trying that pizza, and I'm. I think it's hilarious that he introduces Meta Pizza the week before uh, Facebook decides to call themselves Meta. I wrote him and said, I think there's a oh, nice boy. lawsuit there for you. <laughs> well, they have fully embraced it. Uh, they are having good humor with it, uh, and I think it'll be fine. It, it, and their logo is so great. Their name is so great. Uh, I don't think they'll have to change it, but that was kind of funny. I was like, oh, man, kind of a bummer. Yeah, well, no, it's but, not a bummer. Yeah. I, th I think it's any publicity is good publicity, and, you know, you couldn't True. have chosen a better time to open your place and have that be. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm not him, and I'm not going to be receiving letters from Facebook saying, stop, you need to, you know. That's well, there's a lot of things called meta this and that. And also it's like alpha, no one says alphabet, they say Google. So I don't think if Facebook's logo changed to an M today, I think they'd have a problem, but uh, I think it'll be fine. Well, also, yeah. Also, even if he does, th there's going to be enough news made that it's going to do him better from a publicity yeah. standpoint. You know, I think back to uh, Olympi Olympic provisions. I still can't call it Olympia. But me either. Yeah, it's tough. But what they went through was insane. So those mm -hmm. things happen. So so you so what you're saying is you're not getting out to eat that much and you're not getting that joy that I was talking about of trying new places and experiencing with the person you love. 
Not a lot, but we do. We bring some takeout. And actually, uh, now that I told you at the beginning of this interview that I have hit my personal point where I'm like, well, now everything's good enough. We should go back to normal. And everyone's got their personal conviction on that. Uh, we have agreed that we're good with going out again now. We're, we're vaccinated, flu shotted. I'm boosted. I mean, like, at some point, you just got to roll back into it. Um, crowd, you know, uh, um, herd immunity is is basically good in Portland, uh, the places we go in particular. So we have been going out some, and we have been trying to support local. Um, this this may or may not. I feel a little guilty about it, but I got to admit, my my southern good old boy. Um, chain restaurant self still gets some comfort as you know well from going to some uh, goofy chain places too and i do have a guilty tinge i should be supporting local every single time i have the funds and the time to go out but sometimes uh we may or may not hit certain establishments that others might frown upon us well no i I love the guilty pleasures i love when gary the gary okazaki comes on and talks about mcdonald's i think that's the best so because oh okay well if he can do that right but we're also tuned in portland to exactly that same the the same um sensitivity to local and of course everybody supports local but it's okay to have don't tell me it's going to be cracker barrel no, no, I, I would never walk my brown husband into a Cracker Barrel. My gay brown husband into a Cracker Barrel. That's not gonna. I, that's the land I come from. I'm surprised there's one. Can we bring some cameras in? Ten minutes from sometime? here. I'd like to. I'd like Actually, you know what? If you want to do that, let's do it. I've got one five minutes from my front door. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. It would sit on the rocking chairs and make all the people upset. But uh, so what's your guilty pleasure? So I have, we have a lot. I, I gotta. I don't want to out myself too much. But um, first of all, we're the worst gay guys ever because we eat at Chick Fil A at least once a week because it's freaking delicious and that's just how it is. And I do it so much, I get tons of free stuff on the app. So I eat. That's a lot. If you're free. getting free stuff, then we know you're going a lot. How about? Have, Actually, they give it away. They give it. Yeah, away. but I'm. They're smart. I'm They're very ask, smart. Have you people. had the the uh, Popeyes? Chicken, fried chicken. Sandwich? Oh yeah, because I think that's better. Actually, we, than, we eat Popeyes. I think that's better. We, we eat Popeyes more than anywhere else, and that is uh, although right now with the cost of chicken and everything being so high, I checked the app the other day, and uh, the chicken, the family dinners are up into the eighty dollar range now. It's what? crazy. So I, I yeah, well that was on DoorDash, but uh, DoorDash is still just maybe a couple bucks is, more. But yeah, seventies and eighties. Does a family dinner involve? that's the big ones that's the like but it's still only like 20 or 30 pieces of chicken it's so absurd i actually couldn't even understand what i was looking at so i just shut it off because i was having a mind freak but um but uh popeyes we do a lot the chicken sandwich is good but the thing is it's completely different so i worked for chick-fil-a for a couple years in 90 to 92 when i played in the band and uh i know how everything's made it actually is like the highest quality for fast food it's a, it's a high quality thing. Well, That's yeah, their shtick. That is everything's handmade. You don't think someone's changed it along the way? No, I, I'm I'm aware of what they're doing <laughs> now too. They've expanded a little, but it's pretty much the same. They still make the stuff in house, and they squeeze all the lemons for the lemonade and the whole bit. Boy, I squeezed a lot of lemons back then. But um, so we do that a lot. But the main, really, the one that I do tongue in cheek because I'm not trying to say it's good, but I do like the Cheesecake Factory. Because I made fun of it for so many years without actually going. I finally said, I can't, I don't have the right to keep mocking it at the level I mock it in the people who go there if I'm not going to go. And since I have an addiction to, are used to, I'm kind of falling off of this now after 10, over 10 years of going to Vegas dozens of times. 
but it's as if Vegas and Chihuly had a baby and then threw up all over their baby. <laughs> and so it's just like the most obnoxious place you can possibly imagine. And at you know, 9.30 p.m. on a weeknight, you've got to get a beeper for wait for an hour and a half to get a seat. But we just sit at the bar where it's open seating. And um, I've actually made it through their multiple menus and found some things that are actually relatively tasty, believe it or not. And the drinks are cheap. And I get my frozen, my super basic frozen strawberry daiquiri. And uh, he gets some non-alcoholic fruity frou-frou drink with pineapple slices hanging out of it. And we absolutely love it. And it's just a good time because there's no expectation. I don't, it doesn't need to be good. And another thing about chain restaurants, the service is almost always impeccable. Uh, and you, unfortunately, that has been a problem. Portland's gone through stages where um, we're known for bad service sometimes. I think it's getting better in, in a lot of places. And I know people are trying hard now. But I think people were riding on their laurels for a long time here. We, Portland, everyone wanted to eat out in Portland, travel to Portland. And we've all had some bad service experiences. Uh, but I don't want to, boy, everyone's trying to come back from a pandemic. I don't want to make it sound like that's what I think yeah, is happening the, now. That's a discussion we've had. We brought up a little bit on the on the podcast in the past because I find that fascinating to see how we're going to do with service. with every, The game changed in so many ways. And we were already a little behind the eight ball going you know, we, we were, yeah, and a lot of that you're you're here for us attitude is what I was picking up on for a few years there, uh, versus a corporate place where they'll simply lose their job if they don't do it right. So uh, the service is always impeccable, and I learned from my dad. I'm getting into the dad joke age, so I try not to do dad jokes, but I did learn to engage the server, read the room, see how busy they are, don't keep them too long, but engage them enough to know that I appreciate their server service and and them, and then they're like awesome and then we have a great experience and and great service and everything's just kind of easy i like it when it's easy that's so um but you have to skirt the line there between hitting your objective which is to have a little bit of exchange with the server and um and then you know go from there give them some positive feedback and then get good service yourself but then if you if you say the wrong thing <laughs> If you say the wrong thing, then you go into the category of my father, which is just, you know, being an embarrassment. So um, I guess it depends on how many drinks you've had when you when you embark on that, too. Yeah, well, I always read the room. I, I unfortunately am unable to turn off my brain to all surroundings around me at all times. It's another thing that distracts me at work. So I, I always try to read the room and uh, I'll even acknowledge if I see they're in the weeds and I see that they're thinking we're going to be upset. I'll just straight up say like some kind of industry speak that lets them know I got you, you know, it's like, I see you're in the weeds. So don't worry about us until, you know, I'll tell you right now, like if try to turn in your whole order at once kind of thing, don't, don't just act like, well, they're the server. They're going to do whatever I want. Just try to acknowledge where they're at and, and uh, read the room. But the bottom line is the service is just always awesome at, uh, at these places we go. And we don't go a lot. I mean, Mostly we are supporting local restaurants and, and a lot of food carts out here. Beaverton, as everyone knows now, is hot, hot, hot. It is the hot spot to be. Mm -hmm. Restaurants are coming in like crazy brew pubs, tap houses. Um, big, so big that, in fact, if my husband does open his place, we probably won't be able to afford rent in Beaverton. We'll probably have to go further out to Hillsborough, Aloha, something like that. Well, and I, I know you were uh, even looking as far out as out here, which we would love to have some new great yeah. place uh on the coast that would be fantastic we tried so that is a good segue to you know because we could go on in a number of 
directions, you and I, for quite a while. But we have to end the podcast. I think it's a good opportunity to, now that Beaverton's happening and a lot of people are looking to Beaverton as a, as a place they want to go, do you have some new favorites or even old favorites that you can suggest to folks that are looking Beaverton way that may either live out there, they have theirs, but also in terms of driving, it's easier to get to Beaverton sometimes than it is to Portland. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can hit a couple real quick. Uh, first of all, actually, I'll just kind of do a quick list. We most recently ate at the one of the last standing legit dive bars downtown. There's still the Broadway Saloon, and that place is all right, too. But there's a dive bar called Ringo's, and that's like, you know, pool tables in the back, lottery machines, total old school dive, been around forever, very little windows. Uh, and but we went through the other night because we were hungry and we had their they actually care about their food program and they're a proper dive bar because they serve their French dip with au jus. Nice. So with with this uh, with with jus double with uh, you know you're in a real dive bar when they spell it with with jus. So uh, anyway, there's that and uh, so we got you know chicken strip, chicken fingers and fries and they're like delicious and the oils change regularly and they're known for their burgers and they're delicious. So Ringo's is still keeping it real. Uh, but then we've got all the new stuff moving in. So a few years ago, Ben Bettinger, uh, Bettinger or Bettinger? I know him, but I've never Bettinger, known how to pronounce it. Bettinger, with him. a soft G. Yeah, Bettinger. He uh, opened Big's Chicken out here. And um, without going into too much uh, personal information I've, I've heard reported, I would just say that apparently this one is crushing the numbers of some of his other locations because everyone needed that out here. It's just incredible. Super busy. Loving that. Loving that. We've been there several times. Well, plus it didn't my, my husband a, will, it didn't sustain a fire like the Portland location too. There's I, that. I, I well, yeah, it. there's that. <laughs> but they, and my husband will eat chicken wings all day long. That's his chicken wings is like, we eat chicken wings constantly chicken feet and chicken, everything. So, mm-hmm. so he likes that one. Uh, and then we've got um, the, the ever expanding, uh, Top Burmese is the name of a restaurant, family-owned restaurant out here that has several locations now. Just opened a noodle-only location up in uh, the the uh, kind of northwest Knob Hill district. I haven't tried that yet, but out here they've got the one called Bistro Royale, mm-hmm. complete with robotic servers. So everything's these like R two D two robots squeaking around, beep, boop, beep, boop, boop, and they come to your table and you unload your stuff from the tray, and then they bring you what you need. Uh, it's completely crazy little seating vignettes with like crazy plants they have aquaponic plants hanging from overhead is is insane everything's like super modern but then it's just uh burmese food uh so the tea leaf salad is what they're famous for we love that and there's uh man i don't know there's a ex novo brew pub is down here um there's killer Indian food all around us. Uh, Chetnad is the best one right now, I think, but I'm not really one to have authority to speak on that, but we still have Chennai Masala. We still have uh, India Sweet and Spices, uh, the, the good Swagat locations out here. Tons of, well, I mean, just tons, just a big Indian community, so lots of good Indian options. What about um, Korean? Vietnamese. So, well, we live in Little Korea here. This is Beaverton's Little Korea. I don't think anyone calls it that, but I mean, that is what it is. So all the subterranean karaoke bars that go till the middle of the night with bottle service, uh, that's out here, uh, countless Korean restaurants. So we have probably three or four favorites that we rotate through the most. My favorite thing about Korean restaurants, 
doorbells on the table. Like I was saying earlier about Navarre, you can practically, it's so crazy. It took me the longest time to get over that it's okay. They don't come around and say, how was everything tasting? How are you? That's like, you'll never get service. So you hit a doorbell and you hold up an empty beer bottle and you point at it and they're like, oh, oh okay. And they bring more beer. Like uh-huh. that's actually how you're supposed to do it. So for me, that works beautifully. Cause I'm like, great, let's get this done. And then you pay them money and, and everything's done. Transactions done. So, uh, I love that place too. I get a Coriana. I'll get a, I'll say a bottle of soju and a can of Sprite and lemon. And some of our places like Waba, they'll cut up the lemon for you. I call it grandpa's tea. He'll squeeze it into a teapot and pour the soju in a can of Sprite and mix it for you. Call that grandpa's tea. And then Coriana, they hand you an unopened bottle of soju, an uncut lemon sitting in a bowl without a knife with which to cut it and a can of Sprite that's not open. And you just got to figure it out. So uh, if I don't have my pocket knife on me, I ask for a knife and they'll bring it. You just like open things and make your own drinks, do your thing. There was one place I used to go where I just got my own drinks, went to the fridge and got my own. You just hold it up and point at it and they say, okay. And they put it on your tab and that place is gone now. Too bad. Kim Sat Got was a Korean pub. But anyway, this is, there's Korean stuff coming out of my ears here. I mean, well, everything. I, the re- one of the reasons I'm asking mm-hmm. is because I get asked about where to go for Korean food and I don't have answers. So I was going to hope uh, that you could provide uh, a couple. Well, so Nakwon, N-A-K-W-O-N, is the one that most people know, and it's really nice. And I would say that's the best uh, if he decides to let you in. He has to decide, like, some people have experiences of getting just told no at the door. We're out of food, he'll say. Out of food, 7 p.m. <laughs> what did they do um, to deserve that? Uh, I don't want to make assumptions. I do have an assumption, but I don't want to say it on here because they do let uh, they do let white people in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't. I'm not sure what it is. But uh, if you can get in there, that's good. And then if we had to pick, my favorite barbecue place right now is Koki K K O K I, and my favorite overall restaurant is definitely Spring Restaurant, and it's located in a rickety wooden staircase upstairs loft inside the G Mart in Beaverton, off of Canyon and 114th. It used to be called Paldo Market. It's G-Mart now, mm-hmm. uh, obviously competing against H-Mart. And uh, anyway, you go in there, back to the meat, like the barbecue meat counter, and go up a wooden set of stairs, and there's a restaurant called Spring, and it's exceptional. It's just completely awesome. And then uh, Coriana would be my next one I'd mention. There's High Ram. There's a lot that are good. But if someone just wanted to try Spring and Koki for barbecue... I know people are going to get mad at me because DJK and JCD have been barbecue houses here forever. They're OG, but Koki's newer and nicer and a little more expensive, but really good. And that's what I recommend. Fantastic. I think that, that, that you didn't mince any words on that. You knew exactly where to go when I asked that question. That's my jam, man. Yeah. That's well, what I then, do. Then uh, the time, the opportunity was there and I grabbed it. So listen, I didn't realize that we had a podcast pro on the, uh, as a guest on the podcast, that's why you were all down with the right gear. Because uh, yeah, you're the first yeah. guest we've had who actually cared about it. So uh, I love it, man. Yeah, yeah I, I was I was into it. I had to dig out my old Yeti mic and hook it back up. I don't have sound processors anymore, but I have a feeling this will be just round. It'll be it'll be great. You have but you're more technologically uh, set up than I am on this end. We're going to change that soon. Court, are you listening? But um, at any rate, I really appreciate your taking the time to come. It's been nice. We spoke, I don't know, a month or two ago. Um, and uh, I've meant to have you on since. So we finally made this happen. And I really appreciate it. 
Well, I thank you. I appreciate it. I I love what you're doing with Right at the Fork, and and uh, you kept it going. Now you got a bunch of seasons, over 300 episodes, I guess. Over 300, and we're going to start Portland Food Adventures again. I may as well mention that in uh, January. Absolutely. In January at Andina, so we're going to have that event up soon. Um, and it's awesome. nice. To, Congratulations. It's nice to be doing that again. We're bringing a chef. We're bringing uh, Eric Ramirez in from Llama Inn in New York City. To uh, wow. Yeah. So we're doing the, We're really doing up Peruvian the right way. So, at any rate, it's good to be doing that again. And it's. Uh, I'm uh, really glad. One last thing. Tell us where to find you online and uh, physically. Park Avenue. Well, sure. Sure. And uh, I and I, I hate to do that. I was going to say it's surprising first time ever. I haven't talked ad nauseum about Vegas, but also um, if anyone does want to reach out at the places I'm about to mention, I can help with where to find all the great Asian food off strip in Vegas. So you can reach me at uh, follow me on my social media is always Vic Starman, V-I-C Starman. Uh, I've just been that forever. It's a lounge act name. I started in 99. Uh, that I use for my karaoke name now. So Vic Starman at pretty much everything out there. Uh, and otherwise, uh, professionally, just Neil at parkavenuewines.com. And I would say... Um, and, then, and then you have that's pretty much for it. Park Avenue Wines, right? You might. Yeah. And that, so oh, how can I not mention that? So it, even though our full name is Park Avenue Fine Wines, the tag, the handle is always Park Avenue Wines. Spe- spelled out, plural, uh, without the word fine. So just Park Avenue Wines. Uh, Instagram is, we're using that a lot right now, more than Facebook, although things sync to Facebook. And also we're taking reservations for the bar now, and you can do that through any of those, really, or just go parkavenuewines.com is the first thing that pops up to reserve for the bar, which I do recommend. Downtown is so busy now that parking has become an issue again. I'm happy to say that. And uh, reservation is the way to roll. Yeah, and of course, there's a parking garage one block away, but no one seems to Portland is funny people are like where now where is it I'm like literally one block away a giant parking garage dollar 80 an hour so uh, anyway uh, that's the deal Vic Starman and Neil at Park Avenue Wines and follow us at Park Avenue Wines and that's that's what I'm up to all right I appreciate it Neil slash Vic however you like it thanks um, Chris but I'm glad both of you were here and say hi to Hans too I will all right thank man. you for having me Thanks. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. 